Welcome to episode 67. As always, you can find the podcast on the web at enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. You'll find all the social media and streaming information there. As always, make sure you give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast and on Twitter at Podcast Hardcore. Uh, on Instagram, I post like upcoming episodes as well as like cool old flyers and just like nostalgic hardcore type stuff. Uh, it's a good place to find out about upcoming shows as well, too. Uh, and as always, there's the Patreon floating around, which I'll, I'll post the link in the show notes. Uh, thanks to anybody who's contributed so far. Uh, hopefully this summer, uh, we're going to be doing some live stuff. So it's going to be getting some uh, video equipment pretty soon. Uh, so yeah, like I said, this is episode 67. Uh, I think the list of uh, long time coming interviews is, is going to be pretty short after this one. Um, but these are definitely a couple of guys that people have asked for me to have on the podcast. And I think I was waiting for the perfect time, and I, I think we have it now. So we're going to be talking to Eric Lepore and Jeff Asbrand. Uh, I'll bring uh, Eric on first, I guess. How are you doing tonight, Eric? I'm doing great, Josh. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for the, the request came as a surprise. I'm stoked to be here. Thank you. Yeah, no, like I said, I definitely had wanted to have you guys on for a while. Uh, if I'm being completely honest, I wasn't even sure if you guys would want to do this. You know what I mean? Like, there's some people that, like, at this point, I felt like they might not want to like, you know, have the attention like that. So I was like, kind of waiting. And then when I saw you guys are doing the band now, which we'll obviously get to, I was like, okay, now, now I'll see like about getting these guys on. So um, yeah, then we got Jeff. How's everything going for you tonight, Jeff? Going great, man. Thanks for having us. And, and you're right. It's, it's like a, a blast from the past. Like I said, I hadn't seen you uh, in person in a pretty long time. Hadn't been to Rochester in a minute. Uh, so that being about you know 25 years <laughs> so yeah um it's kind of cool and it's great i'm glad uh you know to hear what you're doing and uh you know it's it's definitely an honor like eric says so cool, cool. i appreciate you guys saying that and honestly i think the honors is much mine because like i said like as we'll get to with with talking about some of your bands and stuff i feel like a lot of people that, that are from this area especially rochester like they, they, they definitely respect what Break of Dawn did for the city. And obviously there's head on too, which I don't know how much we'll talk about them, but you know, these are bands that people to this day, people still like hold in a pretty high regard. So uh, I'm excited to kind of take a trip down memory lane with you guys. Um, so I usually like to try to get like background and upbringing and stuff like that. But when I have more than one guest, I kind of jump forward a little bit. So I think what we'll kind of do is, is kind of start with like the mid nineties, kind of like when I met you guys actually, and like right before Break of Dawn started, um, Eric, I think I'll jump with you first because I kind of knew you a little bit with Makeshift, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I started getting involved in playing in bands around that time. Sure, yeah. And one thing that I didn't put in our notes for this interview, but I was thinking about like with your bands and everything is I think a huge influence, I, I feel like you would, you would agree with me on a, a band that we were seeing a lot around town at that point was Lethargy in like the mid 90s. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, as far as me and inspiration, anybody who knew me back then, I there wasn't a lethargy show um, that I would miss. Uh, I just was so inspired by their um, showmanship and playability. Uh, Eric Burke is just, I, you know, I got to say, he's just one of my idols. Even still, I mean, the guy is amazing. Braun, um, you know, it's, that band went and did... <laughs> What they're doing now with Sulaco is amazing. And Mastodon, need I say any more? Um, it's just, uh, it, but I, I, that was in, you know, I was a punk skater back then. And, and um, 
me and all my little buddies would just go to every lethargy show we could. We would break in if we were too young and we, we would find a way. Yeah, I definitely remember seeing you in a few of those back then. And I know like when you started playing in the, in the band Makeshift, which obviously came right before Break of Dawn, I remember you and I talking about that a lot. And you mentioned a Mastodon too, like we'll get to no end eventually, obviously. And, you know, everybody's kind of been talking about like influences and like what the band sounds like to them. And like, we all kind of have a few different things. Like I, I noticed the, like the Eric Burke uh, inspiration, obviously, but I also even noticed today when I was listening to the music again, like I could hear a little bit of Mastodon in one of the parts too. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's so you know, <laughs> I, I I do want to mention um, a flyer was posted. Maybe maybe um, either Hex posted it or um, maybe it was through Rochester Hardcore History. I think that's Greg. Um, it was a show at Bosco's, and it was Human Remains and Times Up. And I got to tell you, that was an amazing show for me. Absolutely. It, it was just pivotal for me. And I was such like, I was like that, that punk annoying little kid who was like, I was just watching lethargy set up and I was just so stoked. And, um, I was, I was literally like leaning on the edge of the stage and Eric was, um, just doing a sound check with his gear. And, and I was screaming at him. I was like, how do you do that? He was like, he turned around. He was like, what? I was like the squealy thing. And, you know, that, that dude got down to uh, stage level and gave me a pinch harmonic lesson in the middle of a show. And he showed me, you know, it's like you hit the string and you just touch off in just the right spot with your thumb after, immediately after you hit it with your pick. I went home and it was like, it was like fucking magic, man. It, it's just, and that's one of the reasons why, I mean, it's, I don't know Eric Burke as well as a lot of other people do, but I do know that he's got, he's got time for people that care. And, and I just, just so, uh, I, I really appreciate that guy. And, and that was a really important show for me. Um, and Time's Up, wow. Amazing hardcore band. Wow. And the integrity associated with that, um, that performance was amazing uh human remains i was trying to put a tennis ball on my volume knob after that show it was such a good such a good show that that yeah. one was right before my era but i want to say probably like the next year uh dead guy was supposed to play at water street and times up played that so i saw them at that and i remember I, I don't know if i've talked on this podcast about it or not but that night and we've seen a lot of crazy lethargy shows but like they had the house lights off at water street and then like right at the end of lethargy set, they turned the lights on and I looked behind me and it was just like a sea of people just going ape shit and the lights were all turned on and you could see heavy doing his windmills and shit. You know what I mean? And I was just like, yo, this is, this is the Rochester. You know what I mean? Like, and Eric Burke's definitely somebody I want to get on here at some point. Like same thing with you guys. Like, I think for me, now that I've been doing this for a while, like timing is kind of everything and making sure that like I hit people up at the right time or whatever, you know what I mean? So he's definitely somebody that's on the, on the back of my mind though, you know? Um, but Jeff, with you, if I'm not mistaken, is it is it the Seneca Falls area that you're from originally? Yep, it is. Yeah, I grew up in Waterloo, Seneca Falls. And I was just thinking about those early shows that I went to, which I'm so much older. That would have been like 1990, 1991. I mean, I, I went to, so I was really into metal. And then this is when like thrash and metal bands kind of also crossed over a little bit and there would be hardcore shows. And so I went to see Sick of It All, Agnostic Front, um at back streets in, in like 
91. I'd already been to um, the River Rock Cafe in Buffalo and I saw uh, the Gorilla Biscuits with like, I like Outface and like, I don't know, like Mind War. It was really old, like super old. And I was just young at that point. So that was my exposure to hardcore. But then like real metal bands, you know, that were just like huge to me. I didn't have the same experience as Eric. I didn't get like that intimate, like, you know, get, getting to be at the front. It was just scary, as scary as can be. You know, I went to the Sky Room and saw Biohazard. Again, I think that was the same run of Sick It All um, opening for Agnostic Front. And Roger had just gotten out of jail. And it was just like everybody was just so huge and scary and like full of like leather and spikes. And like I was, you know, like I felt just puny. And I was like, this is this is a, a huge world opening to me. So you know, by the time I, you know, met up with people in the mid nineties in Rochester, I was kind of like already seeing a lot of this. I'm kind of old. I didn't get to see lethargy. Cause I, you know, was basically, I mean, I got to see them later, but I didn't get to see them in the heyday of course. Um, because by the time I came to RIT to go to college is when I came to Rochester and that would have been like 97 or something like that. So, um, there were a lot of cool things in the nineties that really marked Rochester and Rochester metal that you know i missed i actually did get to see weird things like big hair and like zizazos and stuff like earlier on only because of traveling and trying to see other bands that you know that they would have been opening for but um never like some of those classic shows like that human remains show like eric still talks about it and he's like you know and it's just like the earliest grindcore where they're just like you know, abusing their instruments as fast as possible. And uh, and you go back and listen to the Human Reigns record and it still stands up totally. You know, it's just fantastic, you know, uh, seminal speed, you know, just, and it's like, it encompasses all music, which again, I was going to say, hearing Mastodon and No End is like a coincidence because no one ever actually consciously think of that. But we're also like, we don't even know what genre this is. You know, it's just all the music that we incorporated from all these years you know, expressing it as honestly and, you know, viciously, brutally as possible. And so it's, it's, it's in there, obviously, but yeah, we can get to that later though. Yes. But so Seneca Falls is where I grew up and I got to see things like hunger artists. They played in Seneca Falls, you know, when I was really little, like maybe 13, um, a alienation, this band from Ithaca would, would come up. They were pretty much old legends at that point. It was a lot of drunk punk and stuff. There wasn't so much hardcore. It was, um, mostly just punk rock in the sticks. People that grow up in the country, you know, you just really get to, any time there's like a house show or anything, you would be at it. And uh, it was mostly just to get to party with older kids and stuff like that. You know, the, the kind of thing that you do when you're just a miscreant youth. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, discovering hardcore and like meaningful music, you know, expressing uh, real passion through that rage was something that happened later in life for me, so yeah. Yeah, that's cool. That you got to see that Biohazard uh, Sick of All AF tour because I know from like listening to other interviews and just like researching other people that like Isaac and Toby and like all these like legendary New York hardcore dudes were all roadieing on that tour. And they obviously went on to start like all these bands that kids again still like, you know, look at look up to these days. Who are legends, right? It's yeah. been long enough that these are the, you know, exactly. They, they are the, the name plate of New York hardcore anymore. I wouldn't have even known that, right? They were just, you know, people on the stage that were other, I'm sure, scary individuals traveling yeah. with those bands, those big bands. Yeah. Yep. Um, so again, I know Eric was playing guitar in makeshift and there was obviously a pretty uh, notorious like Overdale scene around that era too. 
Um, but but like when when did you guys all kind of like kind of fast forwarding a little bit to break of dawn? Like when did the whole like seed get planted for that, I guess? Um, I think we're I gotta take a half a step backwards. Um, I was in make I was in makeshift uh and that was kind of a pickup project with me and some uh, some punk skateboard friends and uh, who who happen to be Lyle Sprague. I, I grew up with Lyle and um, um, we caused a lot of trouble back in the day uh, growing up in Charlotte. And makeshift was a, a rocking good time. And we used to practice at um, Lyle's place uh, in North Greece. Um, but by then I, I had already met Jeff when, when we were doing makeshift. I, I think I met Jeff maybe like a year before that. Um, because their makeshift was, you know, I mean, we were like 16 years old. I think when I was 15, we were in some band. It was some other version of makeshift before that, but it wasn't called makeshift. And um, it was with um, a couple brothers, the Farrell brothers, Kevin and Matt Farrell. And um, that's how I that's how I met Jeff for the first time. I think I was maybe like 15, 16 years old. And uh, I think Jeff, you were playing drums in a band yeah. with Kevin. Yeah. So I mean, that, and he was super far away. I was coming from like Seneca Falls, and they that were was in out like in Hilton. And they were out in Hilton. So I mean, that that's how far you're willing to travel to be in like a heavy band with someone, just because no one was playing that sort of thing where I grew up. And I was in um, I was in bands there, or always trying to do something. Um, but kids would be like, "Oh, we want to do Metallica covers or whatever," and it was just like, "Nah, like I want to do real music, like originals and so forth." And uh, yeah, like, so I ended up being at that house and I remember those guys being like crazy. They were like brothers that would just get into fistfights. Like, is that like kind of close, like relationship that was also like a love hate thing. And they were jealous of each other. And they were like, you know, I want to play the guitar. Or I want to play, you know, the drums. And so, you know, I was just, you know, you'd be there for like an entire weekend because it was so far. And so it ended up being that like Eric showed up and I, don't know if we jammed together or not, but it seems like we would have if you had a guitar at the time, you know, I'm not sure. It's so long I, ago. It's hard to it, remember. It was that, so odd. Yeah. yeah. Because I had replaced Kevin in guitar for makeshift or whatever we were before that Kevin was pissed, but Matt was still playing bass. And so like we had practice at their house before, and then we were out like causing trouble on the, on the grounds. And then, uh, and then you, you had showed up to practice with Kevin later that day. And it was just like, yeah, you were right. There was this weird feud going on between those two brothers, but it was all in, looking back. I'm sure they're all, you know, high fives and laughing about it too. I sort of, so. but yeah, yeah. So, um, at some point soon after makeshift, um, geez, I started, so that's when breakup dawn started up or, or there was like, I was in some other pickup project with, um, I think it was Aaron Birdo and, Jim Callahan we we had this project called fuselage for like three practices and we were writing like straight hardcore stuff that was fun yeah and, uh, it was 25 after- though it was 25 that's how that was the linchpin to to the two of us because yeah when I got to RIT there were like a bunch of hardcore kids and I'm I immediately fell in with you know Hoysa remember John Hoysa yeah yeah, yeah. John Dagan um uh, you know John 25 um Craig Lehman you know, a yep. bunch of a bunch of the guys that would end up we would play music with, you know, and you and you were there, too. You weren't even going to RIT at the time. You were going to MCC, if I recall. 
Right. And, For me, that that was the that was the RIT scene, and you know, I was just some some little guy at MCC, but uh, definitely um, appreciated hanging out with um, you know people that I thought were influential in the hardcore scene. You know, my my first show was like Despair and Ensign and um, uh, who I think Moment of Truth played that show. I, I'm not sure if if it was like a a show soon after was Iyer or Iyer played that that same show, but I think it was Iyer's first tour. Um, and that's when I like I started to meet all these guys. They were all familiar faces, but then you know um, you start to connect the dots and and have developed like associations with these people going to shows and then seeing people at practices or just hangouts, you know. And then new plans were being developed for all different types of bands back then. I just remember. Yeah. Um, being involved in so much stuff back then it was great yeah we're yeah. just dying to play as much music as possible and so every every configuration was attempted i think you know at some point you know uh and, and if you go back to the earliest history of break of dawn i guess that would have been john um craig layman you and i no no it was no pete that was pete. The that's right that's right it was pete good point good point Right. So that was the first jam sessions we had. It was at the house on Morrison Avenue. Um, and that was where I eventually moved in. Sean eventually moved in. There were a whole bunch of, uh, you know, kids from RT that were, I guess, leaving. And John was already, a, you know, a roommate there. So that ended up being a place that we that we would always have practices. We had a few shows there. Like, you know, Joshua the Fitzgerald everybody hung out. Uh, Walls of Jericho played in that basement at our practice space. You know, it was kind of an interesting spot for a minute um and then yeah i think that's exactly where we would have met um and and i was like yeah, i think you might have still been doing makeshift it was still a possibility and so when you came to break of dawn there was like a feud immediately you know with the other members of makeshift because they were like you stole our guitarist or whatever you know well and, no i i think um i think with makeshift because lyle was he was doing some other stuff um Boy, was he in Shotokan? He started playing drums for one of those, um, one of the Overdale bands. Yep. A death and, between um, a death between seasons was was forming around that time by then too, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you know, we were all kind of like branching out our own ways, and I I started um, the the Break of Dawn project in in the basement um, over there with um, uh, where Jeff was living. I mean, that was a hangout spot for us. I mean, I was mm -hmm. always over there um, when I was going to MCC and especially when I started going to RIT. Yeah, I was um, always hanging out over there. And um, I think soon after, because um, I started Arm's Length when Break of Dawn, um, not too long after Break of Dawn started. And um, so Arm's Length was another, another project I was working on at the time. Wait, you were in that band with Dustin, Arm's Length? I started that band. Yeah. I, don't so, think I remember um, that. You you weren't in that like like when they were like more active or whatever though, right? That would have been like more than No, beginning. no, because um Break of Dawn picked up so much momentum. I mean, I was on the road with those guys and yeah. writing music with them and I just wasn't it it just um subconsciously kind of fell off on my list, you know. And um, you know, they did. Dustin called me out on it and and he was right, you know. I I wasn't there, so they started um, practicing with another guitar player. Um, and you know, just to be completely open and honest, I I didn't handle that very well. Um, seemingly because you know I had this vision. It was like 
you know, we're, we're from Rochester and I aspire to be a progressive guitar player, you know, it just kind of, I was just into tech metal. Everything I wrote on my own was tech metal. So, you know, I wasn't doing such a good job writing music in the early days for Break of Dawn because it was just old school hardcore. Um, that's how we started out. Strangely enough, when you listen to the later yeah. stuff, it's just like you were old school hardcore. Yeah. Um, and that's a different, interesting topic of discussion, but, um, yeah, arm's length, my, my goal was to have a progressive metal sounding emo band because I was one of my favorite bands was um, Sunny Day Real Estate and um, various like Sensefield or various other um, um, bands like that at the time. And uh, so, you like know, and, and grade grade comes to mind. Right. So grade is yeah. like tech, but also emo. Well, and they, they were, well, they were, they were like the, super, you know, fashionable at the time too, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Loud and aggressive, but I wanted to add like a technical, a, a technical element to the music. And, um, and that's how, and that, that, that was my goal starting arm's length, but, you know, with um, Dustin and Josh and, um, you know, I, Mark Rapone was in that for a little while and um, they just picked up their own momentum without me. And, um, you know, it's, it turned into a really great thing. And so uh, that, so that, you know, that was a, a very short chapter in, in, uh, in things for me too. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I'm not sure I even knew that. So yeah, you, you were, you were mentioned, obviously the sound, obviously, especially, I, I mean, we'll get to have an Andre in the band later, but with him, obviously the sound definitely evolved too. But like you referenced in the beginning, like if you were to listen to like the demo and the early stuff compared to the later stuff, obviously it sounds completely different. Um, so like, were you were, like, I guess first you, Eric, like you kind of wanted to play like more techie stuff. Like you were saying, like, how were you approaching playing in a band like that in the beginning then? Like if they were going for more like of a traditional type of sound, you know? Yeah. So, um, and you know, shout out to John 25, I, cause he was really influential and, um, and getting me, um, I mean, I was just surrounded in, you know, Florida death metal and, um, grindcore and, um, you know, whatever kind of progressive tech sounding metal I could get a hold of, um, hardcore that, that was an acquired taste for me later on. Um, and so John, you know, it's just like both Jeff and John were like, yo, listen to this, listen to this, listen to this. And really, um, that's what developed my taste in, um, more of like old school hardcore. And, um, you know, Bane was getting, Bane was getting going back then too and we were playing shows with them eventually and uh so even so, before that though I have to we have to march it back a little bit because I think it was like not old school but mid-school hardcore because I, I was really into um like outspoken we did it uh light in the dark you know like yeah um lifetime like we were really into these bands that were not quite you know really old school, but also definitely not in the technical or metal sort of vein either. And I think that's kind of firmly where we sort of started because it was a bit of a, a compromise between all those things, you know? And so, and also it's something that we could do. I mean, I couldn't even play at speeds like, you know, required to do, you know, Napalm Death or something, you know, that, you know, eventually, you know, which I love and, and, and aspire to do still. But, you know, at that time, I think it's like, to, you know, keep with what you can do, be good at something and, you know, and do it well, I guess. And so th that's how we started. But it was kind of bland, I think, in the end. I think we've got like some criticisms about being kind of like, meh, you know, whatever, right? You're just another one of those hardcore bands. You're kind of bland. You didn't really distinguish yourself necessarily. 
Um, and so, yeah, as we went through some configurations that sort of changed and I guess our tastes kind of changed, right? And so as the personnel came in, we kind of were able to hone it further and further. And it's interesting because that ended up being, you know, a, without John in it. And he's like, you know, a seriously critical founding member. But again, we're kind of jumping forward a little bit there. But I mean, at the same time, um, that that was a before even Andre, that was sort of like we were going in that direction. And, and I think John realized that and he had other options and that sort of like amicably, uh, you know, sort of parted um, versus, say, like Pete or Craig, who kind of wanted to still be in the band, but because of our need to, like, you know, keep going um, and and we want to tour and we want to practice all the time like those are things that weed people out, I think, for sure. And Eric, no matter what, was down to play and had the gear and was like willing to take time off and get in the van and, and all those things. And I think that's ultimately what makes a band successful. It's just like, I'm going to stick to it, you know, not even your technical ability or like your ability to, to realize a particular sound. It's just like, yeah, I'm going to show up all the time and I'm just going to keep doing it because I'm dedicated to this. And, you know, I think the three of us specifically, you, John and I, Eric, um, were the were the core of that, you know, in that band in the end. <clears throat> I want to preface this, and I always say this in pretty much every episode, especially when we're talking about stuff this far back. Uh, obviously, like you guys were saying in the beginning, you guys, the, the memory could be hit or miss. So when we talk about stuff that's literally 25 years ago, I understand if you guys end up saying like, you know, but I think we literally are coming up on exactly 25 years since the first show, because I, I know on the last, the show, the flyer for the last show, uh, that was 2002 and i think it was like five years after you guys had started or was it 97 or 98 actually do you guys remember i feel like it was 98 when our first demo came okay. out so we're talking 24 yeah. years then but still it's, it's yeah. been a long time but but that's what i'm that's where i'm going with that like do you guys remember like the process of going with the first demo and like playing the early shows you know what i mean somewhat yeah i mean um i just yeah i remember being like pretty nervous to play with some of the bands that we were able to be on shows with. Um, but I, I mean, in, in the really early days of that demo, I remember it was, that was John was just starting to book shows. And I almost think that that was a, um, you know, a sort of match that was made intentionally. Like he would be, you know, he founded Moto Productions so it could be a way to get us on shows and to basically, I have bands that he like play with us. Right. And like, and then it was also give and take how hardcore works, you know, you host a band and then you've got a connection in their city. And, um, and so it was critical to our success to, for that to happen. So that's kind of what I remember. He was in the printing school there. So um, he was able to like have some pretty good layouts. You know, we, our demo looks better than a lot of bands demos for that reason. You know, we had some shirts printed, you know, there were it like actually felt pretty legit ahead of our time before many bands would have been able to have that. And there was like sort of a, a little chip on our shoulder as a result of that. And then we'd go play a show in Buffalo with Envy or something. And it was like, no, no one's going to, everyone leaves the room and we just play to it. And then everyone comes back in for like the real bands or whatever. So that, that was our, like some of our first experiences was to be like, Oh yeah. Yeah. We're, we're cool in Rochester, but that's about it. <laughs> Yeah. So you learn that and then, um, and then you go from there, you know, it's humbling for sure. Yeah. That's, you know, and then Sean, right. Sean was our singer and, you know, I haven't seen Sean in so long. Um, I, you know, he was, 
he was a hardcore kid from Syracuse, right? He had lots of roots there. He knew the members of Earth Crisis, John McKay, all these guys. Um, when he came to Rochester, he was legit because, you know, Cabal 315. Um, but I think at some point his love for hardcore had already been sort of burned out. Like he'd done it so much from his like early days till the point when he was graduating from RIT. It was sort of like, meh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of over it. And, um, and it was evident, like even while he was the singer of that band, I think people got the sense of like, he, you know, he's, he's phoning it in. And so, you know, that was sort of the end of that era too, where, you know, we stopped sounding mid-school hardcore um, at the point that he left, right? So, and, that, and that's my recollection though. And, and you're right, being 20 plus years ago, it's hard to pinpoint exactly where that turning point was. But um, yeah, I think we played a couple of shows. We played a show in Fredonia with uh, this band called The End, who was a Canadian metal band. And they just shredded so hard, so amazingly. And I remember being on stage, you know, after them and like John was tuning like with his volume up and I'm just like, oh, we, we, we've got to get professional. We're, we're like, you know, we've got to be a more polished, um, you know, entourage here. And, uh, and then I think that's, that's part of it too, is like, if you're hardcore, who cares? Like, just do it punk, do it like. And then there's the metal aspect of like, you know, we want to sound professional and, and clean and you want know, our tones to be right. And our, you know, and all those aspects were sort of conflicting at that time when metalcore was just kind of arriving, I guess, as it were. And uh, I think that's Eric and I wanted to go in that direction. And, you know, maybe uh, other members didn't. Andre popped in and he's like a complete shredder and enabled that largely to happen. And uh then we picked up Matt Burns as the singer, you know, right after Sean. And he ended up being uh, a kind of good fit for other reasons. Um, again, <laughs> that's a whole other era of, you know, letting a singer do their thing. You know, his lyrics were really deep and literate and poetic. And, um, and his voice was like, had this really abrasive, gritty quality, although he'd lose his voice a lot because who does vocal training anyway? And he wasn't a natural singer necessarily. Um, but I think it was like being sarcastic and being like sort of bitter and, and uh, even being a little bit like, um, you know, uh, insulting to your, to your audience who loves you for what you're doing created some division there. And so then suddenly Break of Dawn's got like this, you know, weird rap and you know those of us that are in the band you know we have to back it because it's our band but i i realized that that was becoming a problem you know um you know to be an asshole in front of like you know a bunch of kids who actually like you you know that's maybe not the best thing to do um but again lessons learned we're young enough that you know i think we still were just like oh we're cool rochester will always love us whatever yeah. And so I'm just talking trash at this point, but, uh, you know, so I think, and it, moving away from, from uh, Matt again to the uh, subsequent era of Brad and, and then no bassist, you know, was an interesting era. Right. So it's just Andre and Eric and Brad and I, and more or less roommates again, but this one on clay road. And that's when, you know, we had, you know, 
Rob came in for a little bit. Ben White was in there for a little bit, but it more or less all the songwriting held true to what Eric and, and Andre and I were doing. And that's what I think the era of Break of Dawn that I maybe I'm most proud of. But, you know, again, that's I don't want to be disrespectful to, to its whole legacy. But at the same time, I think we really worked at it. You know, we practiced multiple times a week for long periods of time and wrote some really incredible music. And, um, you know, had I not had we not all left the area for various reasons um you know there were i think you know a full length of some sort was in the works you know would have happened um but alas it did not <clears throat> in that particular combo eric, yeah sure so eric yeah. i'm sure you got plenty to add to that i just want to say one <laughs> thing you were talking about the era with matt as a vocalist and obviously one thing that sticks out for me that you were kind of referencing that he even said at a show one time, and I'm, I'm going to be like paraphrasing, obviously, but it was along the lines of, if you know the words, keep them to yourselves. And I was just like, wow, that's, this is a hardcore show. You know what I mean? That's just a weird thing to say or whatever, you know? Um, but I definitely want to talk a little bit more about that and Andre, but um, Eric, do you have anything you want to add before we kind of jump into talking more about that stuff? I, I do have to acknowledge, um, you know, Matt Burns was a good friend and, um, he was, uh, you know, he was a, a short-term roommate at, at um, the house over there with um, Jeff and John. And I, I don't remember the overlap because I myself didn't live there, but um, we would skate together at the racket club tennis courts and um, various places downtown. And um, there was, uh, I, I think that there was, there was an identity. I just felt very comfortable with Matt, but I feel like, and I don't want to speak for him, but I feel like there was, yeah, the, I mean, his lyrics were dark, you know, um, there is some life experience in that and it, it was poetic and, and um, introspective. And I was a very um, introverted and introspective person myself. Um, I, I remember people telling me that, I, I, they're like, wow, you seem like a nice person, but at shows, like you, you always have a scowl on your face and you really like seem angry or something. It's just like, I know. And, and I don't know what that's about. I think we all have our own narratives, you know, but I, I think there was a, a similar quality between me and Matt that I just identified with. But at the same time, there was, there was a comedic association with self-sabotage. And I, I think you know, I, I've done a lot of, since being a kid, I've done a lot of work um, on just thinking about like what makes me, me. And I would hope everybody else does the same, but um, I, I, it was a bit unfortunate in terms of like um, cultivating our popularity, our acceptance. But I think at that time, it was more of an adventure for us to um, scuttle that ship and watch it go down. And um, because me and Matt were so close, I was okay with that happening. But I do realize that um, it did turn a lot of people off. And, um, you know, we, we played shows, I think we played a show at the skate park in Binghamton. And yep. um, Matt had said something really edgy there too. And it was you know, those, it was, it's just like, you are the company you keep. And there was this dark part of me that laughed at it. But when I look back, it's just like, you know, 
boy, that's not, uh, we weren't helping ourselves. Um, but you know, as Jeff said that after, after we picked up Brad, our creativity expanded and, um, things started to get way more progressive. We started writing longer songs, which is, you know, you're, you're diving deeper and deeper into this subgenre that only, you know, it's, it's, it's music for musicians, you know, it's, it's, it's not really easy for people to identify with the stuff that we were writing after that. But, um, Brad was a bit of fresh air in terms of like the, the PR role for our band. Well, I'm thinking about something now though. you're talking about Matt being edgy. I'm thinking back to now you got Brad singing for the band and now he, he, he starts putting up the upside down flag that says lie on it. And I'm like, I remember, I'm not going to name their names because I'm friends with someone, but I remember there was a show that I booked with you guys and another band. And afterwards we were at the apartment. And I remember there being a discussion between you guys and the other band. Did that kind of stuff happen a lot when that was going on too? Like, were people offended by that? I mean, I know with like punk rock and hardcore, it's mostly leftists. So you're obviously mostly preaching to the choir there. So you're not going to get too much, too much backlash. But like, were there other times when you played shows and like that rubbed people the wrong way? Or was that like a one-time thing? A lot of bands, you know, kind of kept it to themselves. I'm sure it didn't uh, like, it didn't go over well with, you know, some you know, blue collar, like, you know, you know, class sort of um, hardcore bands. And there are plenty of them. And I know the show you're talking about and it was the bug jar. And yeah. Um, and, and, you know, again, we back it like that. That's our band. And like he's Brad came with a pretty principled set of like ideas and it's throughout the work. Right. And so, you know, he's he's wearing his heart on his sleeve and he's talking about it. And so for that, you know, it's not like he's hiding behind some icon or like, you know, some, you know, incendiary, uh, you know, statement, he, you know, he'll be willing to engage and talk about it with anybody, right. So I think that went a long way to be open and say, hey, if these ideas challenge you, and you know, you think we suck, like, then let's talk about it. Let's, let's engage in a way, I'll be at the, you know, table with our t shirts, and I'm happy to like, you know, talk it out. And so I think Brad was willing to do that versus, looking, you know, down his nose at somebody, which a lot of preachy bands can, you know, come off as. And so I think it was a little more like real, a little more organic that way. So whenever we did encounter that, it wasn't, um, it wasn't explosive, you know, and I, and I don't know, we probably didn't make a lot of new fans, you know, in that sense, but I think it was self-selecting. I mean, it was, our music was hard to like bob your head to. So a lot of people are just like, you know, take that, you know, whatever weird time signature stuff and, uh, you know, give me the next band. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think Eric's got a point. There was like sort of music for musicians or it was, you know, crystallized into this, like, you know, you either love us or you don't. And um, and then for the people that had been along for the ride, like yourself, for that whole period of time, maybe it was I love these individuals. And so I'm going to back this band and I, you know, I want to hear what they have to say and, and what they have to do even if it's not my favorite kind of hardcore or the message that I'm necessarily here to hear. Yeah. Like I put in the show notes, that was definitely my favorite era of the band. And the only other thing I'll say about the show we're talking about is that was like two weeks after nine 11. So I'm not trying to play devil's advocate, but I can kind of understand like the other side being kind of like, what the fuck or whatever, you know, I mean, I, no, personally, I, I, get you. I personally though was like, if you're gonna, 
like have that message like now is the perfect time to keep having it you know what i mean like you're you're not going to turn away from it now you know what i mean so we had that conversation it's exactly where it came out it's like we were doing this before this happened are we just gonna like not not do that and it's like well that would make us a little bit like inauthentic wouldn't it like so we will and um yeah it did have some backlash, you know, and uh, I think we, you know, apologize to that extent, but aren't apologetic in the sense that that message message was still consistent with our band, you know, pretty much always. And, you know, a band like Propagandi, you know, would have done the same thing, probably wouldn't have taken too much shit for it because again, that's more or less where they're coming from. So, you know, I, yeah, <laughs> that, that was an interesting time. <clears throat> Well, yeah, I, I kind of look at that as, you know, that was our invitation. We're inviting people to think critically. Sometimes nationalism can be more of a problem than a solution. And, um, you know, being patriotic has its place in terms of politics, but um, there's, there's always another, there's another side to, you know, the story. And um, we're, you know, and that's that's part of punk and hardcore is just, um, you know, question everything and, uh, you know, think critically about it. It's, it's basically scientific method, you know, uh, take in the facts and um, respond decisively. Um, well, I'll tell you, too, though, you talking about like nationalism and patriotism, like as a kid, like I would have seen the flag and been like, oh, cool, you know, but now like as an adult, like growing up in punk and especially what we saw like the last five or six years, I told you guys, I was going to the playground and taking my kids there before I did the interview tonight. I saw a pickup truck roll by with one of those huge American flags, like in the back of the truck. And the same thing goes through my mind. Every time I see somebody driving one of those things now, I'm just like, asshole, you know what I mean? Like, and I don't even know why, like as a kid, I never would have thought that, but like, it's just the dichotomy. Or it's whatever, so you know? blatant, right? It's almost yeah. disrespectful to that point. Like that flag's just flapping real hard and real loud and real big. And it's like, you know, we're tired of America coming across like that. Like we're, you know, flapping loud and huge and big in the face of everybody else on the international stage. And so that sort of, you know, makes you feel embarrassed, like having a family member who's, you know, a big jerk. And you're like, I don't want to be around that person. So I don't know. I, I get you. I, and I and it's weird because, you know, with my kids, it's like, you know, you want to talk about that openly, but you're like, man, I don't want to indoctrinate you to that. I want the kids to also have a sense of, you know, home, homeland or whatever, too. So, yeah, it's like just give them the ability to think critically, like Eric was saying, and and they, they'll come up with that. And, you know, just like you, um, some things are distasteful and you're not even sure certain why. <clears throat> Yeah, it's so weird. My kid's four. Well, I have two kids now, but my son's older and he's four, well, old, the oldest. And and I'm, I'm now I'm just like, what, how am I going to approach that thing that we're talking about now as well as like telling them about like police and stuff? You know what I mean? It's like, I, I don't know, you know? So I my really kids don't. are a bit older and, and you know what? It just happens through normal conversations. Like we had to sit around the dinner table and every day we uh, eat dinner, we do this uh, practice of thankfulness. And so we say what we're grateful for and not even thankfulness necessarily, but gratefulness. What, what am I grateful for? And like the craziest conversations will come out of that, um, that were not even intended. It's just like having that conversation, just really being able to talk about anything and they'll ask the question and you just answer it honestly. And you don't have to say, this is what I think you should think, or this is what I think. So if you're looking up to me, then you'll probably think that too. 
some parents do it that way, right? But no way, like, you know, just give them the ability to have a conversation and they're going to come up with it. And you'd be surprised, like even at like four or five, six, um, you know, they start to, you know, you know, ask some really challenging questions. And you're, you're like, oh, I wasn't really prepared for that. So then you, then you just are open, you know, like being a parent's pretty wild, man. It's definitely the largest amount of growing that, you know, I've ever done. And it's never over. So like, you know, your day is not done. You never get to punch out, you know, it's just there for you forever. So that's, that's a really wild thing to sign up for. Um, so cool. And it's great that you have a young family because all of that's ahead of you. It's kind of weird to me. I have a daughter who's 16. She's borrowed the car today, <laughs> like, you know, and I was like, Ooh, all right. She's going off to see her friend in my car and I'm well working. Um, so those are new challenges, but at the same time, those years with her are fleeting, right? She's going to be going off to college pretty soon. And then what? Wow. She's going to be her own punk rocker, um, and her own life. And, you know, so yeah, that's a bit of sappy, but you know, at the same time, I think, uh, you'll do it right. You know, I will say, I, I, I think he was being serious. Uh, Josh Truskill posted recently that, the the Hellfest 2000 DVD is going to be on Netflix pretty soon. And uh, that's going to be one of my son's first exposure to when he's really going to see how things were. Like I've, I've been slowly like letting him know about like punk rock and hardcore. I mean, his name is, is Hendrix Richard. So if you put this initials together, obviously, um, sure. yeah. you know, but um, I, I've told him about a little bit. I mean, he's more into like kid stuff and whatnot, you know, but I definitely want to do the best I can to kind of, you know, at least shine in that direction as he gets older, mm -hmm. you know, we'll see how it goes though. Um before we dive into, you know, bridging the gap between Break of Dawn and No End, as well as talking about No End, uh, one thing I, I'd like to talk about a little bit is like, are there, are there like, of all the releases you guys did, are there any that you guys are like, like most proud of, or like, like, is there one that you think really like, like defines the Break of Dawn sound, I guess, like for, for you guys? There wasn't a lot to choose from, you know, uh, you know, there's a, stop and start over seven inch, you know, there's the CD that we did on uh, one day savior. And then there's like this sort of compilation of songs that became uh, a CDR, you know, that people were able to get their hands on. Yeah. It's interesting. That wasn't really, um, I don't know. That's not something that we really put a lot of emphasis on was to have an artifact, right? Like that band was about like all of that craziness and passion and live and like that was the best way to experience us um and the artifacts some people were really dedicated to that like become studio bands or like you know just their project is to like have this really cool you know thing to hold and and to have and 25 years later that would have been cool um instead we you know have barely documented ourselves so i mean that's kind of a tough question for me i don't know eric what do you think Answer it right, man. <laughs> I didn't have a good answer. Not, not that I was looking on Discogs tonight or anything either, but there was the Apathomy split too. For some Apathomy reason, I thought, split. Yep. For some reason, yeah. I thought there was more stuff. And we'll we'll get to like you know bands and stuff that you guys like form bonds with if you want to talk about that in between the bands too. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I I just want to say like um, the Arsenic and Tears that we put out on uh, One Day Savior. Uh, there was. Uh, I, you know, I listened to it for the first time in a long time, and it's just like, man, we fucking knocked it out of the park as far as I'm concerned. I mean, created something that we weren't sure how that was going to go. That recording situation in Long Island was weird. And, um, you know, I, I feel like 
um, I feel like there was an expectation for that to be like the next Bane record, but we had changed, you know, we picked up Andre and started writing really progressive stuff. And when, when we were recording, I don't think it was anything uh, one day savior was looking for. <laughs> no, Chris, Chris was just like, Whoa. Yeah. This sounds more like Pantera than it does the band that I was yeah. hoping for or whatever. Right. Um, I can't remember some of those comments, but yeah. Um, I don't think there was necessarily regrets, but it became less marketable, especially in the roster that he had at that time. And uh, you know, that it is what it is because we, I remember that Binghamton show that you're talking about at that skate shop, um, skate park that was on our way down to New York to, to actually record. So we were like, you know, playing some shows on the way there. And um, I thought we were in top form and it was great. And uh, I was hoping that Chris would make it to some of those shows beforehand. So it was kind of like, maybe it's your fault a little bit. You didn't like travel up to really get to know us. You sort of, you know, called us in from afar. We're happy to, you know, put a record out uh, on a label that's, uh, you know, going to offer that to us. Um, but I don't think it was the best fit for that label per se, uh, in the end, but at the same time, um, it's cool. You know, Scott came falling also metalcore more or less, and, you know, in a similar enough, um, sound that I think, and they were pretty popular at that time too. So like, I don't know. Um, yeah, it was I, weird I to record it. <clears throat> yeah. Sorry to interrupt Jeff. Um, nope. I, I did want to mention, you know, our, the stuff that we wrote that we recorded last, that was, that was a live recording. I forgot. I even forgot what we called it. I'd have to go on a hardcore. It, archive um... That was with Brad and uh, that was a live recording. So, I mean, all the flubs, all the mistakes are in there. I could point everyone out to you. I'm not sure if you could pick them out, but um, we just, we went to Doug White and we were just like, this is how much money we got. And he was like, all right, we're doing this live. <laughs> so, uh, but I was very proud that we were able to um, bang those tracks out live. We, we did very few takes. And um, I, I mean, there were some points where I was, I had effects, like I, I couldn't, I couldn't afford a volume pedal at the time. So I'd run up to my amp and like fade out the volume because my guitar volume didn't do it the right way, you know? Um, and uh, I was just really proud of the, uh, the, the you know the time signatures the polyrhythms I remember being writing those songs we'd say like if you can bob your head to a four four we're, we're not doing our jobs right um, we we intentionally made our music complex so that was um, it, it also didn't help us get popular <laughs> I think it's a, a moment in the fire or a moment in the flame yeah um, it was named posthumously, though, too, right? So that band had already played its last show by the time that saw the light of day. And so, yeah, yeah, I guess that is, I am pretty proud of that as well, uh, although it didn't really get any distribution or, you know, see any kind of notoriety. That was, at the end, um, we were the most technically proficient and we were the most efficient in general. Like like you said, we, you know, we, we had to go get all these songs done in a one day, you know, bands don't really record like that. And certainly not anymore. Um, Doug was good at ushering us through that. And a shout out to Doug White. Wow, he did so much recording for all those bands in Rochester. You know, every combo that, you know, we were in pretty much, um, you know, w went there. And 
got their, you know, Doug White Watchmen special. Um, and, and they're all good. Like I'm, they're still totally listenable. Like, you know, it's not, it's not a, you know, an expensive thing. And it was like, he, he really was an asset to the hardcore community in that sense. Right. Uh, that was like a trustable place to go have a certain amount of money and, you know, have an album at the end of it mastered and mixed in a day or whatever. Right. That's, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. Doug's definitely on my list of people to get on here eventually. He's, I talked to him when, early on in the, in the pandemic when I was first doing the podcast about doing it. And he was like, oh, yeah, come to the studio and we'll, we'll bring out an interview. And I was like, I don't really have the, op, the, the means to even get there right now, let alone going there. But it's definitely something I want to do, obviously, because you're, like, you're right. I mean, if you look at the literally all the bands from like what I mean, I don't even know what year starting, but like at least the mid 90s, like up until like more people had like the home studios and stuff, like at least for 10 years everybody was going there you know what i mean like literally yep. everybody is crazy yep. but yeah i guess before we we dive into to more current stuff yeah one thing we haven't really talked about I mean, you kind of referenced like touring and stuff and I, I mentioned like the apathy split like were there like bands that you guys formed like like strong bonds with and like would kind of like like go out on tour with and stuff like that yeah absolutely uh buried inside love those guys um i miss them all and uh when I moved to Arizona, they would uh, stay at my place every time uh, they would go on tour because they would definitely play Phoenix. Um, yeah, and um, Dying Game Theory. Yep. Uh, but I uh, and Epiphany, right? Those those three bands we we would tour with a lot. Um, but yeah, um, sorry, Eric. Uh, the the deal with uh, uh, buried inside was that they got signed to relapse and were became like you know just bigger and and uh, more you know whatever desirable bookable long after us which was to say like man if only we could have capitalized on that then we could have played truly played some like big shows and big venues um i got to see them in ithaca and i'm gonna basement those after that though so that was pretty cool still um, by the time they're uh their first relapse record came out. That that was the end, right? That that's the same band, right? They that, that ended up on relapse, or is that different? Two different bands we're talking about. Bear inside. Yeah. Yeah. Did they, did yeah. That's, that's the same end? band. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. Because I booked... no, no no the band the oh. end. Yeah. No different is, band different band. Is, is yep. it people from Bear inside though or no? Um, I don't think so. I don't think they no? shared any members. No, like uh, the bands that Buried inside were in. I think there was one that happened subsequently, but there were a yeah. few that were beforehand and they weren't really as metal as like, yeah. you know, Buried Inside became yeah. on their own. You might be, there might be, have been one member that crossed over and I, I just don't know. Cause they're both, they um, are both from Ottawa though, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. That's so weird that I always thought that it was Canadian. like, I always just kind of assumed that it was like a thing where they morphed into this other band cause the sound was different, but I never realized that it was two different bands. It's so weird, you know? Yep. Um, but, and of course, Standfast. I I do want to mention them because we did a lot of stuff together. We we were we all got to be pretty good friends. So shout out to those guys. Good point for sure. Yeah, first and, our first, first and last, last shows. Show, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that last show was legendary. I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, I have because I interviewed Rory and Brian a couple of years back, so I have like pictures on my phone from that show, and it's like St. Joe's was obviously not a very big place, and I want to say there was like three hundred people crammed in there that day. It was so crazy, you know. Yeah, I, I think Jim Callahan was working the door and uh, I, I played in some bands with Jim Callahan, too. And um, I was in Obsessor with Jim and uh, we, we did a thrash project called Memory Loss for a, a short period of time. And he would just tell me stories about uh, working the door at that show. And 
it was uh i could barely play my guitar there were so many people in there it was just so the, the energy was excellent and it was just one of my favorite memories it's definitely I forgot. What's that? luke luke was a member of our band for like a couple of weeks at the end too because we're like well what the heck man he's a roommate with brad and i and like you know he he was a, <laughs> a dj and electronic uh fan but also a fan of heavy music and so he put some stuff on that in that live you know the recording of that live stuff that was never even really practiced which is pretty amazing too uh, yeah part of that live last show <clears throat> yeah you guys definitely had a few members there like i mean obviously you you and eric and jeff were like consistent and then i mean andre was in the band for quite a while too but like it seemed like there was a few bass players you know and three singers obviously um but how long guys what's that beetle guys we had uh this brian guys was in the band for a while and <laughs> he was right. in he was in polar bear club later like you know so um that's he's interesting a, he, too yeah he's a stoic dude it, he uh that was interesting having him in the band um did we even play shows with with ryan as on bass at least one maybe i i think yeah yeah I just, the remember, claw. I just Maybe. remember when I interviewed when I interviewed Nooch in the beginning, he was like playing bass for you guys was just like like unfair for him basically to put it to put it easily, you know, like because he's like he thought he was a good like guitar player and stuff, and he's in there playing with with Eric and Andre, and he's just like, holy shit, you know. So yeah, I I I do want to comment on that. I did listen to that interview, and um, wow, you know, my heart is just full of blood after hearing kind words from Rob, um, but. I got to tell you, Andre is like the dude shreds. The dude knows all the scales. And um, I was just following his coattails. I was learning from Andre so fast um, and just working on guitar progressions that he would show me. Um, I, I, I take no credit in terms of like shredding talent. Andre is, the, the dude is just so good. Um, but Rob, he picked up the bass and, and started, I, he was, writing bass lines on the spot some of the stuff he wrote i believe in the studio um for the recording that we did and um yeah dude is super good like and talented I, I, across the board right i mean yeah. that he, he's modest and you're being modest now because if you think about it like you think of slayer's guitarists they're both icons you know carrie king's the rhythm guitar but he's just you know, enormous. So if Andre's the Jeff Hanneman, you're like you're the Kerry King, right? You're you're, you're oh, giving no. yourself, oh, you're knocking yourself down too much. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a tough analogy for me to swallow there. I know. I I'm half joking, but at the same time, yeah. Um it's that's the cool thing about it was like, you know, maybe Andre was like, you know, shoulders above others, but you were, you know, amazing. So having two, you know, pillars of guitar, it just made it awesome. Right. And, and for me, I, it was I, like helped yeah. me progress. <clears throat> we, we pushed all like Jeff, I remember you like in the studio trying to write a drum part that you could barely play. You know, we, we were pushing ourselves, you know, it was always just, uh, there was yeah. a culture of solid progression. We we're constantly challenging our abilities. It was, and that's fun. I, I love that stuff. The creativity involved in that band is just like, it was awesome. Before we get ready to jump into to no end and, and kind of bridge the gap there, is there anything else you guys want to uh, reflect on with Break of Dawn? I mean, obviously we could turn this into like a whole episode just based on Break of Dawn, you know? 
Yeah, I don't know if there's any recaps really that, you know, will suit that whole, you know, era period of time. Um, yeah, what's what's interesting is that it was, you know, playing trying to play metal in a, in a town that's like known for metal is kind of a tough thing to do. Right. And so, you know, we were outsiders that just, you know, kind of cobbled it together. But I think in the end, um, there were people at that last show that, you know, I looked up to in metal that were like there nodding their heads totally into it. And I think that was like all the validation that you could really ask for because, you know, they're, you know, they're still doing it, you know, at least, you know, Eric Brick was at that show and, you know, he's total ripper and still ripping. So, you know, I have to say like Eric, like that, that, that bit is validating. And, and the fact that it was like, you know, we're true to ourselves that whole time and, you know, Rochester's, still got, you know, a healthy, uh, hardcore scene, but that felt like, you know, that really helped us as a city, you know, be on the map between Tuffalo and, you know, Syracuse, who were like just such a, such hardcore, you know, locations that everyone would skip back and forth, skipping Rochester. Well, for a period of time there, when we were there, those shows were in Rochester too. And I was really happy to be part of that for sure. <clears throat> Yeah, I don't think there's quite as many bands hitting Rochester as there was back then, too. Like, I mean, I've talked about a lot to a lot of people about this. It seems like even Buffalo and Syracuse, like sometimes the bigger tours just don't they go to the, to the bigger cities now. You know what I mean? Like we're if this, this area feels kind of forgotten, like Chris Ring still does a lot with After Dark, obviously. He brings a lot of good shows to like Buffalo and Syracuse and, and Rochester, too. But like, I feel like 20 years ago, like every tour was hitting this area, you know, yeah. whereas now it's like some do like I feel like. Like I, I listen, I watch a lot of, or listen to a lot of wrestling podcasts and they talk about like A markets, B markets and C markets. And I feel like this is more of like a, a B or C market now, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. For some of these bands, which kind of sucks, you know, cause this is definitely yeah. like a cool area with a lot of history, a lot of history attached to it, you know? Um, so we were lucky, right? So we, we, yeah. we were playing at a time when it was like the prime time. So I feel like, you know, it just was fortunate circumstances for us. And part of that was that. And part of that was like all the hard work that was happening with all these bands, and like, you know, yourself and John putting on all these shows and like really diligently staying active. And, you know, that was just such a vibrant and cool time to be there um, that, you know, we, we just were able to drink it in. Right. And I'm, as I reflect on it, it's, you know, pretty much all of us together, we should be proud of that. Right. It's uh, pretty amazing that we got to be through that time. <clears throat> yeah I'm, I'm definitely proud to have been a part of it and i mean I, honestly the thing that influenced me most to want to start doing this podcast was all the work that greg benoit has done with the rochester hardcore history uh archive instagrams i mean everything's there you know what i mean but then i was just like i want to start talking to these people and just like the conversation we're having right now basically you know because this this all definitely needs to be documented like you were saying before like like about kicking yourselves about not having as many like like archive type things with uh, the recordings like Sometimes I'll think about like shows that I booked. I'm like, yo, where's the flyers for that? Where are the pictures for that? Like, why aren't there more videos? You know, like everything, like now that we have all these like smartphones and shit, like everything's documented now, you know, but like, I wish we, I don't, I don't wish we had smartphones and YouTube back then. Don't get me wrong, but I wish right. we had something more like we, we were more forward thinking about like what, what we were a part of and like, like, you know, it was like history, literally, you know, it's kind of conflicting, right? There wasn't, there isn't video of us and I wish there was like, you know, there's not much of it. Um, but, you know, head on did stand still. And I thought about the lyrics to that. I'm like, you know, you're living your life like a, a, a game show, like 
that's pretty much what Instagram is a little bit, right? Like that's, that's, it's a really conflicted sort of feeling that, you know, yes, I'm glad to not have had that, but I regret not having that. It's like, you know, who knows? Um, that's just the way, that's the way it was, you know? And it's like, you know, you doing this, you know, Hex is posting all those flyers all the time. You're posting some flyers, Greg, all that work that he's done. Like, I'm grateful for that for sure. Like this, that does make it feel like it's not just gone forever, you know, as I get older, um, because that is a sort of, I don't know, a diminishing feeling, you know, it's, and it's really cool to be recharged with some of those memories. Like, oh, that show was amazing. I've totally forgotten about it. I haven't thought about it in 20 years. And then you think about it and it's like, oh man, that was a great time. And uh, that's fun. You know, it's just like without having to necessarily be around the people or have the video or even have a recording, just the flyer does that, you know, that's pretty awesome. I have to say that's unique to hardcore, right? Like, you know, a hand built to any other event has nowhere near that kind of like direct memory and impact that, that all those hardcore shows did. So again, kudos, man. Thanks for that. <clears throat> I mean, there's a few things I like to say it's about, but the flyer thing is definitely like only in hardcore, you know what I mean? So um, is there anything else you want to say to reflect on that whole era, Eric, before we dive into more like type, current type stuff? I, uh, I, I just want to acknowledge that, you know, we all needed a place to be and, uh, and, and that was a really important time for me. Uh, there was a lot of other things I could have been involved with. A lot of people from my neighborhood are dead. Um, you know, good good friends of mine that I've lost over the years. And, uh, you know, I feel like that was, that was a really supportive time for me. You know, I think about like between the age of 13 and early twenties, when I'm really, really serious about music as, as a creative outlet, but also, you know, risk ascension essentially. And, uh, it was, uh, it is very cathartic and, and a cathartic outlet that I'm not sure, um, people like me realize they even need uh, we just found it and it it proliferated and it was very important for you know I, I try to explain it to non-hardcore people and they're just like what's wrong with you like how do you justify this you know it's like you show them videos of like some of your favorite shows that did get um, caught on camera and and it's just like you just feel the energy you know it's just uh, or I remember being at um, Andre was in a band called Husk and uh, they had two singers and uh, their singer Chad had passed away and uh, we we were uh, honored with uh, the invite to play their last show without their singer but he was there in spirit and uh, that was uh, that's when I that's when I realized like you know how how important it is to have this outlet there, there's an you're moving energy that needs to be moved i didn't know anything about that at the time it's just you're you're just swimming in the bob of that whole thing and it was uh i i i appreciate those experiences uh more more than i think language can do me justice on this podcast so uh yeah uh I just want to say, I mean, you know, since we're kind of getting into like some more like serious and like, like deep talk here, I, I just wanted to like mention that 
Jeff had mentioned like doing like a, a, a thankfulness uh, discussion at the table every night. And that brought me back to outside of hardcore, like without hardcore, like a lot of people say like without hardcore, I'd be dead. Like I pretty much, I'm lucky I'm not, you know what I'm saying? Like next, uh, literally a week from today, when we're shooting this interview uh, will be three years to the day where I like, like basically like should have died. Like I got thrown from a fucking car. You know what I mean? Like, and a lot of the things that I got into and, and whatnot, those few years and other years in my twenties, like, I never would have been anywhere near any of that kind of shit if I was like still like like booking hardcore shows and going to hardcore shows all the time. And all I kept thinking, like when I was laying in a hospital bed for a week was like, I have to just like, I couldn't hit the ground running obviously at that point, but like figuratively, you know what I'm saying? Like I have to like get back into this shit. And, I, and that, the podcast idea came immediately when I was in the hospital. I was like, I gotta start doing this. Like I didn't want to like do it the following week cause that would have been like cheesy or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, but like this, like this is definitely something that keeps me like to be completely honest, like sober, you know what I mean? Like, on the path, remember? Yeah, on the right path, yeah. From coming from a former, former columnist with a fanzine. Um, like, I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm not going to say I'm like straight edge or sober because I definitely like still indulge uh, in cannabis or whatever, but like, I definitely don't drink anymore and uh, lesson learned, you know what I'm saying? And I, I realize now that a lot of people are straight edge for a reason. And a lot of people from our culture, like you can see without them even telling you that they have the addictive personality and that's why that they are straight edge. And I have, you know, 100% respect for that, that whole uh, movement. And like, like Eric was saying, I'm, I, I definitely recognize that like without this movement, like we could all be in a completely different place, you know? Yeah. I, um, it's very interesting to me. Uh, the, uh, the perspective shift now as we're older, we're looking back at those times and, understand things better right I, I think the buddhists would say uh, indifference lies the understanding and i understand those times i uh better now having gone through you know josh i'm glad you're still with us and i'm sorry you had to go through um, what you did but um it sounds like an inflection point in your life and uh this is uh i i think no end was born from a crucible of inflection points in in my life in particular but um me and jeff uh you know i i lived in arizona for six years and uh we weren't in the best of contact just due to distance but uh when i i moved back to rochester in 2008 and um stayed in contact with jeff and uh you know there's there were some inflection points for sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it makes you think about things and it makes you think about how important it is to have good people around you and, uh, have kind people around you and, um, to have an outlet because that's really important, especially for people like us, we're all running around, jumping off stages and, you know, going crazy for bands, you know, it's just, uh, but, you know, it's, it's like, you know, I was talking about that age range between 13 and, and like early 20s. It's, it's like a developmental time. And I, it, as long as I hear distorted guitars and, uh, you know, some screaming, I'm, I'm just in a comfort zone, you know. But now I'm more discerning about what do they have to say? Because, you know, we're really, um, you know, we're drowning every we're drowning in information and starving for knowledge there's so many bands out there with just nihilistic perspectives that i just i spent my time in nihilism and uh it's 
it'll lead you nowhere. It'll drive you crazy. And uh, you you start to, you know, later in life, you you realize, holy shit, I have to cultivate a meaning. You know, the meaning of life is to give life a meaning. And I, I didn't know what that was for me. So I had to start carving that out. Um, I spent a lot of time back in the hardcore days if if I wasn't writing music or going to shows, I was studying engineering intensively and um, and working a lot because I didn't have money for tuition and and you know room and board. So you know I missed a lot of shows because I was always working or studying engineering. I was learning like these really dharmic concepts that like make you successful in life, but um, there there was a level of greatness associated with. Um, the scene in music and engaging in art and creativity with your friends and moving energy that isn't associated with success. That's, a, that's greatness. And, you know, unless you can conflate those two, you, you can be success, successful and live a perfectly miserable life. Um, so that's why, you know, I was just very thankful to, um, you know, I, I had moved to Ithaca in 2016 and, that's when me and Jeff started playing music again. And it's been what, six years. It's been uh, a minute. Uh, so and interestingly, I think that's part of the, the path here as well is that you, you have so little time as you get older and you start to reflect that you, it really has to be meaningfully spent. Um, I think back then I was also working constantly, also going to college and studying, you know, like crazy also in all these bands and, you know, I'd seem to have unlimited time. It was like you, you could, ha I, you know, I did food, not bombs distributions, you know, every week as well. Like there was like, how do I, how do I have the time to do all these things? Like, you know, then you realize later, like, well, you know, you accounted for all of your time. You did some, you filled up every square inch of your time. And now, you know, those times that are just for you, they're just so far and few between that you have to really choose and be wise about the choices of, of what you do. So, and I get it. Like, you know, I would have been in almost any band that would have had me, right? Like, and I was in, into all kinds of music, so I would have done it all. And now it's sort of like, well, you got to really choose, man. You got to be like, this is this is the the one shot I have to spend my time, and that's how I'm going to do it. And so, you know, being with Eric is pretty much how you know I want to spend that time. And it doesn't matter what the music is necessarily, but if we're going to do music, then we want to really dial that in too. And so it's been a crucible of like further and further and further reflection and prioritization, I guess, is the way you want to, we should say it. And because it just happens so infrequently, like we get to practice a couple hours once a week, you know, it takes a long time to write a bunch of music, you know, especially the music that we want to be really doing and be proud of. So six years seems crazy. We've had some changes and, you know, comes in coming and going with uh, other personnel, but it turns out we thought we'd have a band like we used to have bands with a bunch of members, right? And even that's so hard to do that we just became a duo. So now we're, we just decided we could do all of it just as two people, which is so challenging. So, so hard to do, um, to wear that many hats, to create this brutal, huge sound that's like satisfying, but only just with two people and do it live. So, so that's, that, that's taken a long time. So when you say six years, it kind of shocks me, but I'm like, yeah, makes sense. That's so a lot, a lot going against you. <laughs> that's really crazy. I can't imagine there's too many bands floating around that like took six years to, 
to put their name out there though. You know what I mean? <laughs> write a I mean, demo. <laughs> I feel like you guys have the advantage though, where you guys could have taken 16 years for all you cared. You know what I mean? Like where it just seemed like the way you guys are talking about it. And from what I gathered from, you know, talking to Eric a little bit before the interview and, and just what you guys have been saying is that that's kind of how it just started was just you guys jamming and like, but did you guys have an idea like even in 2016 to eventually like make this an actual band or were you guys just kind of like dusting no. off the drum set type thing? And, and yeah, I'm, so I've been playing in another combo. Um, it's like basically a heavy psych band and I had been doing that. And so we have a, a rehearsal space and it's like, you know, I want to commune with Eric. Let's do it, you know, by chatting and, and playing some tunes. And it was like, well, we love thrash. Let's go back and get some thrash going. So we started that way. And, um, and then just sort of evolved our, you know, you know, like the whole break it down thing, you know, just focusing on it and looking at it, rehashing it, rewriting it, reworking it, making it more technical, you know, trying to avoid the pratfalls of like, this is, we got to make something of this. We want to play live. We want to have a cool name. We want to have like, you know, important things to say, like, don't worry about those things, you know, just uh, be in that moment then and, or now. And, um, and that's how that happened. And I think, you know, this is weird to say, but like, to me that this band is more about getting up to hang out with Eric than, than anything else. So that it's cool that we now have a demo and that we are basically certifiable to play a show and actually do something more. But that was never like the intention. It was more like, let's, let's hang out, man. So I think that's, that's a generous uh, outcome really of that. Eric, I guess if, or, or, or Jeff, but either one, when did you guys kind of realize that this was like, like more like shifted, shaped towards an actual band and you were like actually writing songs that you wanted to like record and turn into like at least a demo? Yeah. So, uh, you know, you got to have, unless you're like the electro quarter staff or some instrumental band Pelican, you know, I, I don't think we wanted to be like that. And there's, you know, you got to have lyrics you got to have vocals, you know, and, and we've, we've had um, some other people join us and we were writing music with other people, but in the end, it's just like, you know, um, I, I, I uh, you know, music was just kind of a reason to hang out with Jeff, as he said, and, and we would sometimes just spend most of our time, you know, for hours just chatting about life. And uh, I had got involved in a yoga practice just to help with like the stress and, and, and push of life. And it's just, uh, it's, you know, that was another inflection point for me and uh, was, was uh, committing to a yoga practice. And I, I can't imagine my life without it. So it's like, well, if I'm going to write music and we're in this point where it's like, well, are we going to validate this? We're we going to start writing lyrics. And I just, I've never been a front person for a band. I've never done vocals in a band. And so that kind of puts the onus on me to, you know, I'm playing guitar. It's easier for me to do vocals than it is for, you know, Jeff does vocals too while he's playing drums, but it ain't easy. And, um, <laughs> Hell no. and that was, that was a skill for me to de develop, but really it was, uh, I, I was just like, okay, well, if it, challenge accepted you know the reason why i didn't do it was because i just was uncomfortable um because if i was going to write lyrics they're not going to be about some dumb shit i'm not going to write lyrics about zombies or like dumb shit you know and it you know it's fun okay like i really enjoy 
municipal waste, the art of partying like that had a time for me, you know, and I was skating mini ramps and pools and like, we're having a great time uh, with that album. And you can extrapolate that across all the other bands, you know, but um, if, if it came down to me, it's like, I don't have time to fuck around. And in my spare time, it's very intentional. And uh, it's intentional in ways that I've never really felt comfortable being intentional that way. So I, I just felt like uh, writing those lyrics are, are going to have to mean something to me. And as it turns out, like when I do vocals, about something that's meaningful for me, like listen to the recording, man. Like my voice is cracking and squeaking. Like, like I called the recording engineer and I was like, Ryan, we got to redo all my vocals. I, you know, I'm, he was like, Hey, here's, here's the, you know, here's the rough mix. What do you think? And I'm like, I'm just like, Holy shit. We can't put this out. This sounds horrible. And I was, I was trying to negotiate with him like, yo, we, I have to re-record these vocals. Uh, I, I, I can't do this. I was having kind of like a somatic meltdown hearing my own vocals. And then I, I, I we spent, we spent some months um, and it real was really um, my, my own indecision. I ended up giving, getting COVID and I was like, well, it's, this is just pushing the timeline back further for my vocals to uh, recover from that. So I was just like, fuck it, man, slap some distortion on it, send it out. And so when I listen to it, you know, I'm, I'm less self-critical because I've listened to it enough because I hear it different in my head when I do vocals. But when I hear it back from the recording, it's like, you can actually, um, I guess you can hear that it's it's critical stuff for me it it comes from a, a place that's what i'm finding in this in this interview is hard for me to talk about it's uh my voice is going to crack i i just have to be okay with that you know like i i'm going to i'm going to belt it out past my vocal cords abilities to handle my emotions that's a good way to put it right and i think there's something to 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 be that's that's attractive about that and i think i mean josh you probably can you're the most familiar with this it's hard to hear yourself your voice is always just like cringy uh to yourself right so in your sense you know that was the first time you're really getting to hear it as a piece of art right um so you know that's tough and uh, and i spent some time counseling, you know, about this too. I think it sounds amazing, but it's hard to hear yourself. Right. And if you can get to the point where you're like, well, wow, I'm taxing myself because what I'm talking about is really from, from so deep within that it's taxing me to even get this out, you know, awesome. And if you listen to a lot of heavy bands, like that's a characteristic that I think is cool. And, 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 you know, again, um, hardcore just exemplifies that right it's like you don't have to be good at what you're doing you just have to do it um like as intensely and as purposefully as you can so you know that's that's sort of the, the brilliance there um but that said i don't think it's you know there's i don't think that it uh pulls any of the other parts of the music down right it's i think it's right there with it yeah no i agree with you jeff fashion definitely comes first in all this music and I never realized until I started doing this podcast how nasally my voice sounds. And I, I'm going to be 100% honest, too. I've had people 
that either told me or told other people that they didn't want to do the podcast because they don't, they're not comfortable with the way their voice sounds. So I totally get that. Um, and I'm going to also be honest. I didn't even realize like that, that you were even singing, Eric. I thought Jeff was. And when I, but when I heard the distortion going back to all the, the weird comparisons everybody's making, I just assumed you guys were going for some like uh, Jacob Bannon, uh, Jane Doe era converged. Cause that's like, that's the kind of how the distortion sounds. And it sounds cool like that. You know what I mean? Um, and I also want to add, I had to throw this in the interview at some point. I'm glad we're done talking about Break of Dawn. Um, I want to preface by saying I didn't make the flyer or book the show, but you talking about me, me thinking about Jeff singing reminds me of an era, uh, no drugs, alcohol, or Break of Dawn permitted era of my life. Um, we, booked, we booked a band called Abstain in my basement, and there was a drummer who did vocals in that band, and he had this fucking Madonna headset on that he would sing with. And when I first heard the band and I assumed Jeff was singing, I'm picturing like you showing up to the show with this <laughs> fucking headset and you doing the vocals that way. So yeah. Um, yeah. We can yeah. still try to arrange that for, for you to do the, the vocals that you do with the band or whatever. But you know, now, now yeah. knowing that Eric sings, it'll make it, you know, I uh, need one of those things, man. <laughs> D- Dale from the Melvins has one of those things he does too. too. Yeah. And uh, I'm trying to like reach over to a microphone yeah. and, and also, but you know, playing furiously and I realized it's it's kind of a liability because I'm just too far away I'm doing all the like deep growly stuff in that recording um but again that was more like we've we've honed our vocals a lot more since that happened and I think we're sort of finding a place where we can both mutually do vocals um and be you know again more comfortable with doing them and and just you know pushing forward with it I think it was a, a kind of a newer concept to us doing that recording because we didn't practice a lot doing it all at the same time. And you, as anyone can say, um, that independence to be able to do your instrument proficiently and also sing, you know, as you wanted to, uh, is incredibly hard. So, you know, that's took some even more time, you know? And so by the time we actually launched the demo at the beginning of the year, um, we had, figured out how to do that right so we recorded it and then we had the vocals and then we were practicing singing at the same time and so things changed a little bit but we also were able to master doing that together so um it seems like the vocals were like you know they're basically tracked over the the instruments that we did uh and so in that multi-tracking we were like right this is how it's gonna have to sound vocally let's do that and to be fair, uh, Eric's vocals are getting better and better. And they do have that Jacob Bannon, like, you know, Jane Doe era, you know, again, um, I think even throughout Converge, like that, that high, just breaking up but intensity, um, it's desirable. I really like that in, in, as an edge to our music, you know. <clears throat> Jane Doe is my favorite Converge album. So I think I just go to that as like a, 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 a talking point for that band. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then one other thing I'm thinking of going back to human remains, because I, I want to say Dave Woody played drums for them, right? Yep. Yeah, that's right. So you talking about them, Eric, and I think you too, kind of Jeff. And then you also talking about like having kind of difficulty even, even mastering some of the drum parts in Break of Dawn, like watching videos of you guys jamming and stuff. Like, it seems like you're really getting into it. Like, was it hard for you to kind of play so aggressively again? Or was it like, you know what I mean? 
Well, I think it's uh, like a yoga practice. It's about like being able to relax. Like I think when I, you know, played drums um, as fast as I could, my arms would be tired and I'm like getting sore and I can't do it very long. And I think a lot of people, specifically drummers, when they're trying to learn how to blast and they're trying to learn how to play as fast as they possibly can, you just end up tensing up and going slower. And it's like so humbling and it's like discouraging. But like if, like in any practice, if you can relax more, then you can start going more. And like, I, I'm constantly waging that war of like, wait a minute, you're, you're tensing up because, you know, I'm gritting my teeth and I'm going, I'm like, oh, if you watch some of these really sick drummers, you know, it's just, there's a new um, worm rot, you know, single out and that guy's as fast as lightning and he's just chilling, man. He's not, you know, overexerting himself. And I think that's the, that's the, the thing. After all these years, so 20 plus years uh, past, you know, playing aggressive music, um, I'm starting to finally figure out, oh yeah, you can play blast beats for a long period of time. You can do it, you know, like the East West blast test, like Dave Whitty did, um, without like just being a puddle of sweat and only being able to have 30 second songs, you know, like a typical grindcore band, <laughs> like a napalm death, you know, album. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a it, fair question. Um, and I'm loving it more than ever, uh, frankly. Um, and, and it's, if we can just you know, keep it going in that sort of direction, but also modding it with all the other things we love, you know, we won't necessarily be a grindcore band. We won't necessarily be a, a hardcore band. We won't necessarily be a death metal band. It'll be some amalgam of all those things, kind of like Break of Dawn was a, a bit of an amalgam of a lot of things. And, you know, the, people don't necessarily like it if you're not a specific genre, but like, fuck them, right? Like, it's not what your passion is, then I, I'm not trying to market myself, you know, just do it. Well, it's, it's funny you would say that, too, because everybody kept making all these comparisons when, when, the, when you guys dropped the demo a few weeks or a month or so ago back. And I'm just like, like, it sounds like a lot of different things, but like, it sounds like your band. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it doesn't have to sound we don't have to compare it to 10 different things. Like, obviously, I noticed the vocal thing and a couple other things I said, but like, I don't I, unless I'm listening to like a like a, a traditional like meat and potatoes hardcore band. Like, I don't go into like listening to a band like with the expectation of, oh, it's going to sound like this or it's going to sound like that. I mean, obviously with you guys having played in bands together before, you kind of have that expectation. But other than that, like, I like to just kind of go into a new artist and like hear it. You know what I mean? Like, if that makes sense. It totally wow. makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's that again, that's part of the, the distance that we've traveled. Right. So when people first got into music, they're getting into the things that they like, you know, they first heard and this is what I like about it. And that is a, uh, you know, just a, a launching point to all the other music, you know, that you can possibly get into. And, and when you get old, <laughs> it's like, wow, I've really got, you know, a ton of influence and a ton of like appreciation for all forms of music. And again, it's um, growing out of being like sort of elitist and close-minded as a youth when you're like, this is the kind of music that's the right music and everyone else is, you know, dumb. It's, uh, you know, I, I have a little bit of respect for anybody that's willing to, uh, to do that, you know. To, to put yeah. their art out there. <clears throat> I just want to say that I don't spend a lot of time percentage wise of all the music I listen to. I, I it's a small percentage that's um, that's metal. Um, but if I play guitar, it's really it's it's the only way I want to play guitar. I'm involved in other like, you know, in, in the yoga community, we do uh, kirtan is kind of a devotional music that involves some Eastern instruments. And um, that's been a fun outlet for me as well. Um, but this is, uh, this has its place in, in 
I, I feel I, I just really appreciate aggressive music because there's an aggressive part of me that is rarely gets a voice. And so it's again, you know, it's cathartic. It's, it's therapeutic. It, it was a skill to develop, to be able to compress your diaphragm and actually still play guitar. <laughs> I'm real. I like, I have a lot of appreciation for um, people that can do uh, metal or hardcore vocals and play guitar at the same time. It's uh, it is a challenge, but I, I, uh, it, it's come together in a, you know, I've never really just never really gave it time, you know, to think that like, whoa, maybe I could do this. Uh, so, you know, me, me and Jeff, we, we've resolved to just, we're like, okay, it's just going to be me and you. So we got to, there's some things we got to do. We had to prioritize. And, and I was like, okay, I got some homework to do. And uh, it really turned out well, especially because I was able to conflate like the things that are important to me in, in other parts of life. It's just like, well, it's just me and Jeff. And we were pretty well on the same wavelength in terms of like thoughts and beliefs. And, you know, if, if words were going to be about something and Jeff has been great about giving me some uh, uh, creative freedom and uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I love it. And I, I really don't care. Like, um, I really don't care about, you know, like, well, how are we going to market this? And we got to get better at social media. It's just like, man, I don't give a shit. And I'm, I'm realizing that people hire people to do their, you know, their social media, or there's like uh, web platforms that you can do a single post to, and, and it will multiply, you know, send that same post out to your Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and all that stuff. And I just, that stuff just makes me want to pick up my guitar and play that instead. Um, so, you know, we're, it's just, uh, I feel like that there's, you know, that there's, there's something to be said. There's, there, there's a message and there's part of us in this that it's like, well, let's put it out there. And, um, I really don't care if it's receptive or not. Um, but if anybody listens to it and enjoys it, you know, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I can totally relate to the social media thing. Like in the beginning, like I, I hadn't been on social media at all for like 10 years. I mean, you look at the way things have gone in our country in the last like that many years, pretty much. It was enough reason for me to be like, fuck this. And I just got rid of it all. But then literally the first day, I think, that I was home with my son when the lockdown started. I, I set up the Instagram that I had kind of like been on the back burner just so I could look at the Rochester hardcore history the whole time. Like nobody knew I had an Instagram type thing, you know? And then, but what I'm going with this is like with the podcast, like I'm trying to to master all this stuff and get people to, to find the podcast more. And I'm like, I don't know how the fuck people do this shit. Like you'll see people that like start uh, an Instagram page for this or that with hardcore. And then all of a sudden you look at it and they're like, how'd they get like, 20 or 30,000 followers. That's insane. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm just like sitting here with like a couple hundred for the podcast or maybe like a thousand now, whatever it is, you know what I mean? But it's like, obviously like we were talking about from the beginning. And, and I know I've mentioned a few times, like this is like a project of passion, obviously, which I can kind of see your band is too, you know? Um, so without me rambling more about the social media aspect, like kind of circling back into the band um, with you guys now realizing at some point that you're going to be a two piece, and then adding on to the fact that recently or whenever you guys decided that you were going to release a demo and then eventually start playing shows, like, do you guys approach this band differently now? Or is it still kind of like this as it, how it was for the last few years? 
our approach would be to practice, you know, we knew back during break of dawn, if, if you want to actually like progress, you have to practice at least twice a week, once a week doesn't do it. And, and every time you practice, you got to record what you're doing because there's so much other stuff going on in life that you can't, you know, remember like what the compositions were from the previous practice. So we, and, and um, vocals, if you don't use it, you lose it. So, you know, I'll just, I'll just get a little aggressive in my car. <laughs> If we if we have to skip a practice because of circumstances, but um, it's it's definitely you know the vocal cords are just like any other muscle. You gotta you gotta exercise those for them to stay healthy doing this stuff. Yeah, I get to play um, with Bizarre a little bit. That other band that um, I'm in, just basically in Ithaca. There's not a really a heavy music scene here. Um, you know, there hasn't really been, it's been spotty. Uh, it's got underground does some heavy music, but that's turned into noise largely. I don't know if that's like that in Rochester, but the noise scene is really big here. And the noise scene is sort of supplanted heavy music in a lot of ways, because it's abrasive and it's, uh, you know, it, it, it carries a sort of emotional weight. It doesn't register with me. I mean, I cannot necessarily uh, get into it, but I, I give them, you know, the kids there, they're due. Uh, they're definitely being creative. Um, but I was going to say is that uh, I get to enjoy the feeling of that cathartic, just joy of, of playing live. And I think Eric needs to feel that again. So, so that that's, there's one thing that this demo sort of provided is that like, we, I need, you need to get up there and do this and like, you know, feel that uh, again, it's been a long time. And uh, also, and just a chance to you know see crowds of people you know that's it's a, there's a hopefulness at the end of the side of this you know it's like sort of like all right pandemic sort of you know sunsetting um masks are you know no longer sort of ubiquitous and this music is a possibility live music's a possibility i think there's a sense of hopefulness there and i would just love to be able to um you know i don't think about necessarily touring or any of that but you know, getting out there and playing those shows and having that camaraderie. Um, so if anything, it's like that idea, that light bulb is definitely, you know, illuminated. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much what it is for me. It's crazy. You mentioned the noise thing too, Jeff, because like, I've, I've definitely noticed that in the last couple of years, like it's definitely more, I, I can't really use the word popular, but you know where I'm going with it. Like it's more mm -hmm. noticeable now. And there's, there's projects here. Definitely. There's a scene here for it now. And I always use this, this point of a conversation to point out that I was in a noise band in the late nineties and we opened for Orchid and Jerome's dream. Uh, thanks to you, obviously. And I smashed an organ at that show too. And I, I don't really listen to much noise now either, but it, it's crazy to me just to see like how, how well known that stuff is now. And um, the other thing I want to mention too, that um, I didn't realize you guys were living in Ithaca at the time, but I, uh, two years ago, I rode my bike to Ithaca and back. And uh, Eric, you mentioned just doing the vocal, uh, things in the car or whatever i can i'm just i wish i would have just pulled up to you randomly on my bike at an intersection <laughs> and Ithaca, and you just screaming in your car whatever. it would have been hilarious you know um but if i ever awesome bike, so you're like, a long distance cyclist then i i I've had done no it like idea. three times that that fest in syracuse in 98 or technically auburn we rode to that and then i hadn't done it in many years and uh 2016 uh 17 2017 i bought like a road bike a cheap one and then I started doing like just a lot of long rides around Rochester. And then I rode to uh, Niagara Falls, Ontario, 
uh, luckily, because as I said before, with my problems that I had, I can't go to Canada anymore. Um, so I rode my bike to Canada in June of 2017. And the following week, uh, my girlfriend said we were having our first child. So wow. yeah, that's kind of been like a slow ever since then. I haven't done it as much. And then he was mm -hmm. three that or yeah, three that summer, two that summer that we went to a road to Ithaca. So they met us. I rode my bike there. It took me like a day and then another day. And I got there the second day and they met me there. And we stayed in a hotel, which is obviously crazy because of the pandemic. And we were wearing masks. And I was like, yo, am I going to get sick on this bike ride? Like, should I even do it? You know? Um, and then we had another kid the following year. So now it's kind of in the same spot again where I do. I do want to do it again, the long distance stuff, but probably not. We got to get together. I rode my first century this last summer. Yeah. I rode around Cayuga Lake, um, yeah. did 103 miles or something like that. But I've been totally getting into road and gravel biking, and I'm building myself a titanium fat bike that has a mountain bike wheel set so I can just be riding four seasons. Um, yeah. I'm really into it. I love cycling. It's like, you know, it's a Zen fitness bit for yeah. me. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it dovetails well with, um, you know, my lifestyle, which is to say, yeah, I'm not like out doing other sports. I'm not like, you know, into many other hobbies and it gives you an independently the ability to, to, you know, fulfill that without having to necessarily have other people around. Although group rides are nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah I do a lot of those. <clears throat> I'm a huge fan of it. I definitely want to get a better bike in a few years too. And I mean, for you though, it's gotta be a challenge doing all that riding in Ithaca though, right? With uh, all those yeah. Well, shit. that's, it's all about it, man. Yeah. And the state, the state, the, the statement is, it's only a hill. Get over it. <laughs> Dude, you know, I, eventually you'll get up and over it, even if it is a 10% grade for three miles, you know. <laughs> I was so tired riding my bike because I rode the first night. And I'm sorry for people are listening to this that weren't expecting this conversation, but it is what it is <laughs> podcast. Um, I think I stayed in Canandaigua the first night and then I rode from Canandaigua to Ithaca the second day. I fell off my bike at some point. So I was kind of like hurt and my bike was like a little fucked up. So I was like all exhausted and shit and just couldn't wait. It was like dark and like 11 o'clock. And then I got to that fucking huge ass hill that leads you into Ithaca. And I just like flew down that thing. And it's like dark nighttime. My bike's all fucked up. So I'm like, yo, am I going to get like hit or something going down? You know what I mean? It's a rush, you know? Cliff Street like, is scary, right? Yeah. I always take other back ways uh, in and out because there's no shoulder and it's like, you know, 96. It's a main yeah. road uh, with semis and stuff on it so yeah. yeah i i my wife doesn't you know like me riding on main roads because like we know people that have been injured and yeah. i know people that have been killed like on a bike yeah. and it's like there's hardly any recourse you, you can't really yeah you can't predict it and you can't prevent it per se um it's just a, a probability game at that point so and that sucks yeah if but, i ever yeah. bike there again i'll probably <laughs> research a different route back because going up that hill on the way back was definitely no fun so um but yeah, no, you, when I, when I saw you guys were both living there and like you said, with all the stuff you're into, I, I was like, it makes sense that you guys both live in Ithaca. Cause I always see like Eric posts a lot of like pictures and stuff on Instagram. Like you're into all the outdoor stuff too. Right, Eric. I mean, fitness wise, you know, I, I guess I'm more of a runner, but cycling. Yeah. I got a mountain bike, road bike hybrid. I'll spend more time mountain biking. I don't like road biking. It's, um, I shouldn't be on a bike at all. I mean, I've, really pulverized my collarbone i got a lot of hardware on my shoulder because of that yeah i mean me and jeff will do i like to go solo hiking in the adirondack wilderness uh, but me and jeff are no strangers to doing uh longer through hikes uh, we did the northern half of the npt a few years ago that was a great time totally yeah 
Yeah, I'll definitely <clears> have to hit you guys up next time. I we, we don't go there often, but we'll definitely bring the kids there again at some point because there's just yeah, I mean, Ithaca's rules. I mean, I don't, have to, I don't have to sell you guys on it, obviously. So I moved um, here for a reason. I love it. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. it. Every option, definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, yeah, speaking of my young children, it's getting to be about their bedtime. So before sure. we wrap up the interview, though. I know you guys have referenced playing shows a couple of times with no end. Is there, is there anything set up yet? Or are you guys just kind of actively like hoping to get something at some point? I said, there's a lot of shows coming up that, um, you know, in Ithaca, like Jeff said, the, the metal scene is um, uh, few and far between. There's not a lot of stuff going on. Um, so no, I, I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of spring shows, like bigger shows being booked, you know, um, but things that aren't necessarily metal around here that we're, that we're aware of. Um, but I know that there's a constant flux of things going on and um, Rochester, you probably, Josh, you probably have your thumb on the pulse of that stuff uh, better than I do. Yeah. I mean, it's time for us to, to put together the EPK, get on the stick and like, you know, get, get some shows, you know, it's, it really is a matter of yeah. like, let's get motivated and do that um, and come what may. Uh, and I think that's for sure on the very near horizon for, for us, because, you know, it's a, it's a logical next step, I guess, you know? Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's coming. I, and Rochester would be a great homecoming. Our first show, you know, let's, let's, we'll get in touch with somebody there. <laughs> it's a two year anniversary. This podcast is next month and episode 100 is going to air around that time too. So I'm sure I'll, uh, talk to some associates about kind of helping get you guys something here at that point. I, I can't imagine that'll be an issue getting you guys on something here and whether it's, you know, May or June or whenever, you know, so. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. Well, yeah. uh, are you guys going to like any more plans to record or anything anytime soon? Or are you guys just kind of like writing new stuff for now? We're writing new stuff right now. Yeah. Uh, having a great time doing it. It's just the creative process. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's how it started. It is the bread and butter of what we're going to do. Right. And um, the cool thing is it's like anytime you've been playing music as many years as we have, um, it just gets a little more, it's like, Oh, that's juicy. Like, let's work on that. And, um, and you know, it just gets more satisfying. Like, I, I mean, I love all the stuff we have and we have a bunch of stuff that's not recorded. Um, but I, the new stuff is my favorite. So that's, that's kind of awesome. A lot of, a lot of people, and I'm not talking shit because I've, I've I'm friends with someone. I've interviewed some of them, and they're cool people. But a lot of people I've seen from the, from our era, kind of like decided to like ride the coattails of, of their old band, just kind of reform that band. So I definitely tip my cap to you guys to for starting a new chapter. You know what I mean? I'm I'm sure like you could have talked to a few people and, and just used the Break of Dawn name again. I'm I'm kind of you know kudos to you guys for starting something new because that's you know a lot of people just kind of like to lean on what they did before because I'm sure it's a lot easier. You know what I mean? You already kind of have the name and, you know, I've had people hit me up for the podcast and I'm like, who's even in your band that was in it 25 years ago? Why are you using that name? You know what I mean? Like, and I'm like, dude, it's wild to see some of the bands that are back together. I I, like Zao's playing with Bloodlet, like Bloodlet, like that's just amazing. Like, I just want to go to see that because it's like, what will that even be like? Um, yeah. So it is, it's, and I don't know, I mean, get all the bands that are reforming and there's a ton, like I would love to see so many, you know, I would love to see coalesce again. I would love to see like some bands that, you know, like dead guys played a bunch of uh, stuff and like, I, you know, again, um, I don't know if they're necessarily doing it for money or for a reforming of an old idea, but um, yeah, we are in the next fully next chapter. Like this is, 
a new way to express ourselves. And, uh, you know, I'm glad of that. And I can't think of how there could ever be a break of dawn reunion, frankly. Um, I just can't conceive of how that would happen. So, you know, even that, I think it deserves the respect that it has to be, you know, have lived its life um, because that, you know, ended on a pretty high note and it's hard to like really, you know, go from there. <clears throat> but Josh, amazing. Thank you for having us. Um, it was awesome to catch up and, you know, it's, it's true. Um, it's been a long time, but I feel like there's an affinity to you, Rochester Hardcore, and just in general, all those faces that I don't get to see and haven't for so long that it's just like, feels like it's been just a couple of years and not 20 years, you know, it's weird how time goes so fast. <clears throat> yeah, it's going to be a real reunion when you get, when we get you guys up here in a few months, man, you know, seeing everybody, because that's, it's like, it's fun doing the podcast and like doing mm -hmm. a Zoom where you can kind of like see each other's faces. It's kind of like a personal thing, but there's nothing like, like seeing old friends, like actually in person and you know, being able to have like a face-to-face -face conversation with somebody, you know, it's a lot, I think a lot of that value has been lost in this era too with everyone. And I'm, I'm guilty of it too. I look at my phone all the time. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, it's just how, how we live now, you know? So yeah, I was at the, uh, there was a, the obituary show um, recently in Rochester and it, it was just, I saw so many people I remember from the past and it was just, that place was packed. It was just so awesome to be at a show again and uh, see all my buddies from you know back in the day and there's just like this most people probably don't even recognize me <laughs> i'm okay with that too but it was just uh it, i'm just glad to see that shows are happening um it's it's great yeah you were talking about you being happy people don't recognize you that's the thing i'm going to miss most about masks which i still wear mine like i'm going to stop probably in the next few weeks because you know i don't want to be the only person wearing one like i was in the beginning but I love that I can just walk into a place and no one knows it's me. Like I have the bushy eyebrows, so I guess they can see that, but like, you don't see my face. You know what I mean? It's like, it's been nice just to go places and be completely incognito. Cause even though I do a podcast and like, I have to talk to people and shit, like I, I'm kind of like you were referencing before, Eric, like I'm kind of like the same way. I don't like to, if I don't have to, like I'd rather just kind of you know, be by myself or whatever, you know? Yeah. You got to recharge. You got to be able to shut it off from time to time. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, no, like I, I definitely appreciate uh, having this conversation as much as you guys. Uh, is there anything else you guys want to add or anything before I, I kind of do my last little little bit at the end here? Shout outs. Yeah, anything you guys got for shout outs or anything? Or? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I got a, I, uh, I was proactive, my friends, and I, I, I got a list going here, but I'll try to keep this short. But, um, you know, some of the familiar shout outs, um, Andre, for sure. Andre, um, Andre Foise, uh, I just want to say, you know, I do stay in touch with Andre and, uh, I'm just really inspired by like everything that he's cultivated in his life, especially, um, uh, his creativity in Locrian on, on relapse is just blown up. And I mean, he's a yoga teacher and he was, you know, traveling with, uh, he was traveling with Locrian and, and like teaching yoga classes too, as, as part of that tour for them. And I just, it blows my mind. It's so awesome. And um, I, I do want to say thanks to Rob Antonucci. He's just a very um, charismatic dude. And um, you know, if anybody keeps the PMA, it's, it's Rob. And uh, I, I always appreciated that. And um, you know, Rory Van Grohl um, and you know, our, our time, 
developmentally, you know, with, with our bands and, our, and everybody in Standfast. And uh, um, really stoked about uh, the Ugly Duck situation in Rochester is a place I always go when I visit. Um, I want to say thanks to um, Russ over at Needle Drop. And uh, Russ is a, a really special person uh, to me personally. And uh, he was there for me uh, when I was going through some of the hardest parts of life. And uh, it was just uh, pretty unconditional. And I'm just really, uh, really appreciate that guy. And, um, and some shout outs close to home is uh, my partner, Jenny. And, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, just, uh, well, I did at least, it's just realizing how important it is to have kind people in your life or people that accept you for who you are, your idiosyncrasy, idiosyncratic nature and, and foibles. And uh, she just has endless grace that I, I appreciate so much. And um, of course, um, you know, I gotta say, I gotta shout out to my, my homeboy, Jeff Asbrand, because you know, I'm gonna exhibit some PMA here. Uh, you know, uh, let, let the people, let the people know in your life, uh, that, that you care about. So, uh, I know he's, he's right, he's right here in this interview, but, uh, me and Jeff have been through just about everything together and, um, uh, good times and bad. And, uh, he's always been a, a source of, um, support for me. And I, I appreciate that. And, uh, that, um, that reflects in the, the cohesive nature of this band, um, which is just kind of a byproduct of our friendship. So appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, buddy. That's nice to hear you say that. <clears throat> yeah, we don't get to tell our friends, you know, that they're, you know, meaningful, uh, I guess, enough. So glad you take that occasion. I, I wasn't proactive. I don't have a list of thank yous, but I, I will say, following suit, uh, you know, I want to thank the very same individuals that, you know, Eric has uh, thanked. I'll add, you know, my wife, uh, Evie, to that. And I will also say that, you know, all the parents out there that are still like doing their favorite stuff, right? They haven't abandoned their lives to be parents, but they are able to uh, hold all of that space together where they're into heavy music, they're into brutal stuff, they're into, you know, what a lot of you know, <laughs> the PTA or the PTO or whatever would not be into. And yet they're going to stand strong and be like, I'm a good parent still. Like, you know, people need to know that there's no stereotype, man. What a tiresome world it would be if, you know, there weren't more of us who are like, I'm weird and I'm ready to embrace that. And my kids, you know, they can make the decisions for themselves, you know? So anybody that's still, you know, lifting their uh, skinny fists to heaven like antenna. Uh, I, I'm all about, you know, stay keeping it weird. So I'll, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I think stay keeping it weird is definitely a good way to close out this episode. Uh, I definitely want to thank Eric and Jeff again for doing the interview with me. Um, the next episode is going to feature uh, Brandon from Pure Bliss out of Syracuse. Uh, I got a bunch of other stuff coming up. Uh, we'll probably start getting back to two episodes per week soon. Uh, just keep your eyes on enterprisehardcorepodcast.com. Make sure you follow us on Instagram and everywhere else. Um, as always, thanks to Greg Benoit, Rob Antonucci, and Jim Byrne for all the help with the podcast. Thanks to my family for all the never-ending support. Uh, see everyone real soon, and stay safe. <laughs>